Greetings, friends and family. It is the weekend of Sunday, April the 11th, and we're going to pick back up and actually conclude our study and our look at Colossians. Today, we're going to conclude by looking at chapter 4 of Colossians, verses 7 through 18, reading from the ESV. Listen as I read. Final greetings. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is, he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he, he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barabbas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, you have it also read it in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say, to Archippus, see that the, you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand and remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In our final study in the letter to the Colossians, we come to a list of names of associates and of friends of the Apostle Paul. We could call these people the early day saints. The glory of the Bible is in that in it we have an unbroken and a trustworthy record of the early day saints. And in this section, we will recognize that these saints to be the same kind of people as in fact we are today. They have the same Lord and believe the same dramatic, dynamic truths that we believe. So it, it seems like this could almost be a throwaway, if you will, but, but really this is a very relevant passage for us. The letter closes much in the same way as we end letters today with, with greetings to and from friends and associates. But there's also certain themes which which can't help but shine through these references to these individuals. And, and, and a closer look will reveal characteristics of life in the early church and what they thought to be important. The first theme is that one, the first theme is that of the importance of discipleship. And verses seven through nine mention is, is made of two of the disciples whom Paul took along with him in a training experience. Tetricus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. 
And I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. That's Colossians 4, 7 through 9. So basically, you know, we should be very grateful for these two men mentioned because they brought this letter from Paul in Rome to the church in Colossae. They may not have realized what they were carrying or how momentous this letter would prove to be and how grateful we are to their faithful obedience to carry the letter. Tychicus was one of a band of young men and women who accompanied Paul on a lot of his ministry. There were no seminaries or formal training in those days, so training was done in really the most effective way at all, through continual, on-the-job, personal relationships. You watch me do it, we do it together, you do it, and I watch you. This involved taking people along on journeys and teaching them what was important and how to respond to situations. Tychicus, who was from Thessalonica, traveled widely with Paul. He was part of the delegation chosen by the churches of Macedonia to accompany uh, Paul when he, took, when, when he took to Jerusalem the special offering that had been collected for the poor and for the, the, the believers there. And later, Paul would send him to Ephesus to take Timothy's place in that city. And possibly also, as the letter to Titus suggests, Tychicus was sent to Crete. Notice the three descriptions used by Paul which give insight and to how he related to these young men and women who accompanied him on his ministries. He calls Tychicus a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. In the first description, dear brother, we see something of the ties of love that, that bound Paul to these young men and bound them, them to him as well. You cannot read the New Testament without seeing in these affectionate greetings that Paul was very warm. He was very warm hearted. And he loved those who worked with him and showered them with praise and encouragement. He also calls Tychicus a faithful minister. Here Paul assesses the quality of his work. The chief virtue of a Christian at work is faithfulness. And in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes that God has called us to be stewards of the mysteries of Christ. He goes on to say it is, requir it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That's what God values, I think, more than anything else. He does not ask us to be popular, brilliant, widely accepted, but he does ask us to be faithful in whatever ministry, whatever task or assignment that he's given to us. Faithfulness is what will win high praise at the throne of grace, and Tychicus has amply demonstrated the quality of faithfulness. The third phase, which describes Tychicus as a, is a fellow servant, speaks not of the quality of his work, of, but of the equality of the workers. There's no hierarchy in the early church. That hierarchy has been imposed upon the church and borrowed directly from the world. Paul never refers to himself as, as a pope or even a bishop. He always speaks of himself as a fellow worker, a fellow servant. He is an apostle, in other, eyes, in other words, authorized spokesman. He's an older brother and sometimes calls himself a spiritual father, yet his authority was one of love and knowledge. He gained it 
by loving these younger men and women and by treating them with courtesy and respect as equals. He shared with them the vast knowledge of truth he had, yet always on a basis of personal equality. And as a result, he gained their respect and their voluntary submission to his desires. There's that word submission again. A choice, not imposed. And perhaps one of the most striking phrases uttered by Jesus is given in the 23rd chapter of Matthew. When, when Jesus says to his disciples, one is your master, all you are brothers. There would never was intended to be a hierarchy in the church. When we impose one upon it, we really disturb the proper functioning of the body of Christ. The story of Onesimus is related to the letter to Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave. He apparently took some of his master's money with him when he left. Somehow, he found his way back to Rome and came in contact with Paul. Paul himself probably led Onesimus to Christ. And Paul now sends him back to his master, whom he ran away from, with a beautiful appeal to Philemon. If he's done anything wrong, charge it to my account. He asked Philemon to welcome Onesimus as a brother in Christ and restore him to his household. It is likely that Onesimus is being sent back to Colossae to be a minister among the slaves who probably made up half the congregation of those early day churches. And by this means, the gospel penetrated all classes of society, and Jesus himself said that his task as living Lord as living Lord, was to place people where he wanted them to be. You have not chosen me, he said to his disciples. I chose you and appointed you, the word means, I strategically placed you so that you may bear fruit in my name. And so along with Onesimus, the forgiven slave, another name given in verse 10, highlights the Christian virtue of reconciliation. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. That's uh, verse 10 of chapter 4. The reference to Mark takes us back to the first missionary journey of Paul, which is recorded in the 13th chapter of Acts, when Paul, together with Barnabas, was sent out from the church at Antioch, and they took with them a young man named John Mark who is referred to in Acts 13 as John. We know from other references that John Mark was the son of a wealthy widow who lived in Jerusalem. To be, to be fair, he was probably a little spoiled, so that when things got tough on the journey with Paul and Barnabas, Mark wanted to go home to Mama, and that's what he did, abandoning the work. But later, when Barnabas wanted to take him on the second missionary journey, Paul resisted and refused to take him along. Barnabas instead took Mark to Cyprus, where they ministered there. And, and what amazing thing here to find out that now years later, Mark is with Paul in Rome. Somehow he had won his way back into Paul's good graces. It may well uh, be that, he, that by this time he had finished the gospel according to Mark, which he wrote under the tutelage of the apostle Peter with whom he had ministered for many years. And now Paul sends him to Colossae with this affectionate word of appreciation and instructions that he should be welcome there. What a reminder this is 
that we are dealing with a God of a second chance. We all have failings and misgivings, but God can always redeem them and use them. If we, we may have messed things up badly in a ministry or failed in some area of life, oftentimes with the world, there, there is no second chance offered. But the God of grace offers a second and a third and a fourth and so on and so on and so on. And how beautiful to see Mark receive another opportunity and to meet now with Paul's approval. So Aristarchus and Mark are linked in verse 11 with another name. Jesus, who was called Justice, also sends greetings. And these, these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have provided a comfort to me. That's verse 11. Here are three Hebrew Christians, Mark, Aristarchus, and Jesus, who's called Justice, whom Paul says were a comfort to him. Reading between the lines here, we see a reminder of Paul's consciousness that he too was raised Jewish. And this takes us back to Romans 9 and 10, where Paul writes of his love for Israel, saying he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart because of his fellow Israelites, that they may be saved. What a comfort it must have been to him, bound as he was by chain, unable to go about the city, to have three young Hebrew Christians to carry the ministry of the Jews on his behalf. Aristarchus, who came from Thessalonica, probably became a Christian under Paul's ministry in that city and later joined the Apostles' Party when he was sent out as a prisoner to Caesarea in Rome. Here, Paul refers to him as a fellow prisoner, which suggests that he had been charged by the Jews with some crime and was actually awaiting trial along with Paul himself. And with them is, is Justice, another evangelist among the Jews. The Jews. He took the Roman name Justice because he wanted to gain acceptance in the Roman Empire. Many young Jewish converts did this. Paul himself changed his name from Saul when he was converted. These men, therefore, would have been the first Jews for Jesus contingent who went abroad to minister on the behalf of Jesus, the Savior. And a section on the theme of prayer and intercession brings us the names of Epaphras, Dr. Luke, and Demas. Epaphras, who is one is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. 13 uh, through 13 here of Colossians 4. We've already met Epaphras in the opening verses of, of this church. He was the evangelist who first began the church at Colossae. He had probably carried the gospel to these three cities, Colossae, Laodicea, and Heropolis, when Paul was living in Ephesus, teaching the word of God five hours a day, six days a week, for three years. What an, a tremendous opportunity of, of Christian truth that, that, that had to have been Epaphras also had a pastor's heart. He labored in teaching and in prayer to bring these Colossian Christians to maturity. We do not know how he got to Rome. He may have gone there to get uh, more instruction on how to deal with this terribly subtle and powerful false teaching that had surfaced in Colossae, of which we now see the counterpart is the New Age movement of today. It's interesting to remember that in the letter to Philemon, Epaphras is also called a fellow prisoner of the apostle. 
That may indicate that he too was arrested by the Romans when he came to visit Paul and was chained as well as the apostle. This would explain why he was unable to return to Colossae. And then in his absence, he agonized, that is the word Paul uses, in prayer for the Colossian Christians, praying that they may stand firm in the will of God, be mature and fully assured. What a lesson that is concerning prayer. How many times do we pray with agony like that? How many times do I pray in agony like that? Oftentimes, I'm more interested in and what we can get from God. God is our Father, and, and many of us think of prayer as a way that we can get things from Him. Oftentimes, our prayers reflect the shallow concept, but Epaphras interceded with agony and perseverance on behalf of others. We too may be separated from loved ones who need spiritual help. What can we do? Well, we can pray for them. Prayer is a marvelous provision to release spiritual power into a person's life, to remove obstacles, to open doors. It may take a lifetime, so prayer must be persevering. With Epaphras is linked the most faithful of all of Paul's associates, Dr. Luke. In 2 Timothy, the apostle's last letter, Paul writes, Only Luke is with me. And all the apostles had left, but Luke remained faithful to the end. To this, to this beloved faithful brother, we owe both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Only eternity will reveal the enormous debt that the church owes to Luke for his faithful labors to the end. By contrast, the name Demas is mentioned here without comment in, in a kind of eloquent silence. He, too, was from Thessalonica and probably was part of the original band of Asian interns who traveled with Paul. Evidently, he labored well for a while because Paul seems to have taken him in in several places. But now when Paul is in prison and all of his associates are in danger of being arrested themselves, it is apparent that Demas is beginning to drift. Paul says nothing good or bad about him at this point. But later in his letter to Timothy, he writes, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present age, and has gone back to Thessalonica. This young man has become famous, or rather infamous, in Christian history as the one close associate of Paul who would not hang in there with him. He left because he loved the attractions of the world and abandoned his faith as a result. The theme of home churches is, is instructed or introduced rather in verses 15 and 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And this, after this letter has been read to you, see that it also is read in the church of the, La the, the Laodiceans and that you turn in turn read the letter from Laodicea. It's verse 15 and 16 of chapter 4. Some versions say give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nymphas and the church in his house. It's difficult to know whether this refers to a woman or a man, for some versions have the masculine ending, while others have the feminine. It is likely, however, that this person was a woman who owned her own home. Perhaps she was a businesswoman, a wealthy widow, we don't know. In Philippi, Paul and Silas stayed in the home of Lydia, a seller of purple. We do not find any church buildings described until the third century. So that for at least 250 years, Christians met in homes 
And when they met, they read the scriptures. And that is what Paul exhorts them to do here. His letters were already widely shared, and we see him, we see from this note, he himself makes the claim in 1 Thessalonians, one of the earliest, his earliest letters that was preached was not his own ideas, but it was the word of God which came to them. Thus they read and studied the letters, analyzed and applied them. This reading formed a great part of their worship service, just as it does in our churches today. We can imagine how this letter to the Colossians was discussed in the church at Colossae amidst the heresy and the false teaching that was going on among them. It must have, it must have occasioned many, many long hours of discussion. We do not, of course, have a letter to the church at Laodicea in the New Testament, Many scholars feel that the letter to the Ephesians is this letter to Laodicea, as the Ephesian letter was, in a sense, a round-robin letter. The first and the last of seven churches mentioned in Revelation are Ephesus and Laodicea, respectively, so that the letter to the Ephesians, as we call it, was sent first to Ephesus, then to the other churches on that circuit, and finally ended up at Laodicea. If that's the case, then we've not lost anything in that regard. And Paul now sends a message to an individual in the church. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work for the ministry. You have received it in the Lord, Colossians 4.17. In the letter to Philemon, we learn that Archippus was most likely the son of Philemon. He had a certain ministry given to him, which he was neglecting. So Paul reminds him to complete his work. No one knows what that ministry was, but the important thing was that he had a ministry, as do all Christians, as do all of us. Here again is greatly, here again is a greatly neglected aspect of the church today. We have been taught for so long, unfortunately, that when we come to church, the ministers are those who stand up front and lead the meeting. But that was not the case in the early church. The ministers are the coaches. The players are those in the seats. They are the ones who have the work of ministry. Paul says in the letter to the Laodicean or Ephesians that leaders are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So I hope, I hope that we catch this truth. I know, we, I know we know it, but I hope that we really catch this. The impact of this church of Banner Up Christian Fellowship on our community is not going to be made by what we say and do on Sunday mornings, but what we do for the rest of the week. We are all the ministers. We are all the ones responsible to carry on the work. The church does not meet to worship and to learn, period. We meet to worship and to learn in order that we prepare each believer for their ministry. We gather to scatter. That is what Paul is doing here. He's stirring up this young man to take on the work that God had given him to do. This is a very important truth, one which the devil resists strongly because it is so powerful. When individual Christians begin to recognize that God can and will work through them, they begin to sense new excitement and challenge. Christian life is no longer boring and routine. It becomes demanding and exciting. We don't retire from the, for the, from the kingdom of God. If you're not dead, you're not done. And young people are not the church of the tomorrow. They're church. They're the church of today, just as young people. So how do we discover these ministries which God has given? We find them by responding to a need that is right at our doorstep. I would suggest to you, you do not have to look for a ministry. 
It is usually right in front of us. It's on the bus. It's in our carpool. It's with our neighbor next door. Respond to a need. Speak to some lonely person. Open up our homes. Have a cup of coffee with somebody. That is how we find the ministry which is given by the Lord himself. If we follow it up, we'll soon discover that we have an exciting door of opportunity open to us. Perhaps others can join in with us and life becomes from all of us a tremendous adventure of faith. That is what Paul is talking about here in this letter. That is how the church spread through these cities and began to affect the whole section of the Roman Empire. Paul closes with this word in verse 18 when he takes the pen in his own hand. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. How much would you give for that autograph today? Remember my chains. Grace be with you, Colossians 4.18. That word, remember my chains, has, has written, was written 2,000 years ago to people who have long since gone. Paul himself has been in glory all these centuries, and yet these words still have meaning for us. It is well for us to remember his chains, to think of Paul who was wounded, persecuted, and oppressed everywhere he went. He was resisted, thrown into jail in many places. He spent a night and a day in the deep. He was beaten with rods and stoned on occasions. Even as he writes these letters, he does not find it easy to do so. He does not sit down in a comfortable room with a computer. He must dictate them to an educated slave and then painfully, because he suffered from poor eyesight, write with large letters his name at the close. So the, so the letter would, be tr- would not be treated as a forgery. And down through the centuries, this letter, along with others, has transformed the history of this world. It is a tremendous, tremendously important document. It is, it is God-breathed. Yet it is well for us to remember the cost of having these scriptures in our own hands. These scriptures were not, these, these letters were not written by men trying to oppress generations of people later. They were written by people at the cost of their life, who were pursued throughout the known world, who were tortured, beaten, killed, imprisoned, and chained. What would cause a person to do that except it being true and inspired by God himself? Remember my chains, Paul says. So let us give thanks for this, this apostle Paul, who kept the Lord always at the center of his thoughts, heedless of obstacles. He fulfilled his own ministry faithfully before the Lord. What an amazing model to us. As we close, I want to read Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. And God bless.